And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective. I'm Tim Britton flying solo on a Tuesday morning uh, without Ted Berg. Ted is off. By off, I mean he is moving and probably having a lot less fun than he would be talking to me and all of you, naturally. Um, Mets are coming off a 4-2 to loss to the Yankees on Monday night. Uh, they play again Tuesday night with Taiwan Walker on the hill. Uh, not Jacob DeGrom. Mets deciding, deciding to push DeGrom back. They didn't, they, their stated reason, they did not want uh, Walker waiting too long between starts since it had been uh, just about a week now uh, since he left his, his game in Atlanta with back spasms. Uh, so... Mets, you know, they took three out of four from Philadelphia over the weekend, played a really remarkable game on Sunday uh, that, uh, you know, a little inside baseball beat writing. When you schedule an 8 p.m. train after a 1.30 p.m. baseball game, you do not expect to be rushing to catch that train. Uh, yet that was the case on Sunday uh, with, with the Mets and Phillies playing uh, a game that was just under four and a half hours, not counting the 45-minute rain delay. Uh, for the Mets, worth every minute, uh, the way that game ended uh, with, with Mark Canna uh, hitting two home runs in the final three innings, uh, the three-run homer to tie the game in the seventh, the two-run homer to give them a lead in the ninth uh, uh, to give them an extra run, uh, kind of went unnoticed uh, in the moment, but turned out to be extremely important considering Edwin Diaz was not at his very sharpest uh, in the final moments in the ninth inning. Uh, so, uh, you know, the Mets reestablished a four-game lead in the division then. It's back down to three. As Atlanta beat Pittsburgh on, on Monday night, you know, the, the schedules start to shift a little bit um, after this week. You know, the, the Mets have gone through this, uh, got one more game on this 10-game road trip, really, against the three of the four best teams left on their schedule. It's, it's Atlanta, Philly, uh, and then the Yankees for two. Uh, and then after this, they do get the Dodgers next week. Uh, but after, you know, the, the schedule gets con- considerably lighter from that point forward, uh, you have... Uh, the Rockies coming in at the end of this week. Uh, you have dates with the Nationals, a road trip to Pittsburgh and Miami, uh, more games with the Pirates uh, at City Field. Uh, you've got a trip to Oakland uh, after one to Milwaukee. It's a very strange late-season road trip. Then you've got the series with Atlanta at the very end of the season, um, the last weekend of the season, and then three more with, with Washington to close the season, though this, the one that was supposed to be uh, at the beginning of the season, a pushback because of the lockout. So the Mets schedule uh, does become the easiest in the National League, uh, I think, after uh, it's either after after today uh, or after this weekend, uh, that their schedule becomes the easiest in the National League the rest of the way. Atlanta's schedule is not terribly difficult. I think it's the it's last to check it was the fifth easiest. Uh, they do have uh, a road a West Coast road swing through Oakland, Seattle, and San Francisco that that would be a little bit more difficult. Uh, but remember, uh, you know, you can join join the stage to ask questions. You can ask questions in the chat. You can even ask questions on Twitter. I'll be checking that as well, just, just to make sure that we don't miss Ted too much. 
Uh, first question I'm going to take from, from Twitter is from uh, Jake, who asks, what do you think the Mets' plans are for Brett Beatty once Eduardo Escobar and Luis Guillorme are back? Uh, I don't know that they have that plan set just yet. You know, I think that Beatty has the opportunity to kind of take the job and run with it. If you remember Ted and I talking about this, I think it was last week. Uh, yeah, it had to be last week. Beatty's only been up for, for the, the, the one week. Uh you know, the, the question is, what does running with the job really entail uh, for, for Brett Beatty? Uh, and what he's done so far is not it. Um, you know, nothing. He's had the home run in his first at-bat. He's, he's hit the ball hard. He hasn't gotten uh, outstanding results yet. Uh, obviously, in the field, he, he's a step down from Guillaume uh, and Escobar. You know, Escobar should be back by the end of this week, maybe even as soon as Friday, which is his first day eligible off of the injured list. Uh, if he comes back then, I don't think Beatty's the guy that gets sent down necessarily. Uh, I think they can probably, you know, go with a, a platoon there where Beatty's starting against righties and Escobar against lefties, depending on how comfortable Escobar is swinging from the, the right side. I assume if he's coming off the, the injured list, he's, he's very comfortable doing that. Um, but then, you know, you can get into September and when Guillaume comes back, you still don't have to send Beatty down. He can be part of your, you know, one of your two September call-ups if you want to go in that direction. Uh, maybe the Mets don't. Maybe they, they feel like a right-handed bat is more necessary uh, for their bench. Maybe Mark Vientos becomes the guy uh, as Vientos has continued smashing the ball in AAA. Um, you know, he doesn't provide the same kind of defensive value that Beatty does. I uh, can't really, you know, he, he's probably less of a viable third-base defender at the major leagues than Beatty at this point. That maybe fits what you need offensively as a pinch hitter more uh, by that point in time. Uh, I think, you know, Beatty still has the chance to, to, to win that job going forward, moving forward. Uh, if he if he really starts to hit and you know shows some growth defensively, he's had a couple of miscues here and there. Nothing nothing too egregious, I don't think, but but noticeable uh, after the, the job that uh, especially Guillaume has done at third base. I, th I think that's one of the one of the interesting questions the Mets have over these next six weeks. They've got a lot of interesting questions. Uh, I wrote about one of them this morning, uh, which is kind of how they plan to uh, use and deploy their starting rotation down the stretch. You know, they, they want to give guys extra days of rest when possible, especially DeGrom, as we're seeing this week, uh, you know, especially Walker and Carrasco when he's back, coming back from, you know, coming off of uh, injuries, whether in the offseason. So both of them had offseason procedures. Both of them didn't throw, you know, Walker had the huge innings jump last year. They want to be more careful with him this year. Carrasco hasn't thrown uh, a lot of innings in a long time. Uh, Bassett is up uh, among his career high in innings already uh, so they want to be careful with those guys and then you've also got Max Scherzer who last year said that you know pitching on extra rest down the stretch of the season left him not quite left his body not built up to do what he wanted to do in the postseason which is start on one day relieve <laughs> relieve two days later and then start four days after the initial start uh, that's a tough schedule he thinks that he can that he's learned enough from last season for that uh, so we'll we'll see but that, that's that's my story this morning. Thank you. Eddie C, join the stage. What's going on? Hey, how are you? Uh, you kind of just answered my question. I heard you talking about Taiwan Walker pitching today instead of Jacob deGrom. Um, and I did read the article earlier. So I was just wondering where the Mets stand management-wise on deGrom. Of, it seems like they're taking the approach of not wanting to push him too hard before he really fully comes back i know they're still working him up um do you think they're going to keep this approach of giving him extra days of rest in comparison to a max scherzer where they want to make sure that he's there every fifth or sixth day yeah th thanks for the question um you know i 
I think they do because, well, the conservative approach down the stretch for them, because they have so many off days in September, I think it's five off days the entire month of September. It's three in the last 14 days that just kind of doing nothing means that those guys are going to get extra rest. And sometimes, you know, not just a fifth day, but a sixth day as well. They've got that series against Miami, uh, the final, the, the, the second to last week of the season where it's, you know, you've got the off day Monday, you play Tuesday, Wednesday, you got the off day Thursday. Uh, I will tell you, teams generally do not like those series because it becomes difficult for the rotation, it becomes difficult for the bullpen guys. Uh, but at that point in the season, maybe the Mets welcome having that, that extra time off. Uh, so I, I think with DeGrom, they're probably just going to keep him in the five-man rotation where, you know, every fifth game he's going to start, but that's going to be on the sixth or seventh day because of the, the off days that they have in the month of September. There will be some that where he pitches on regular rest. It's not like he's never going to pitch on regular rest. I think I, I did the math out. He pitched... You know, if he gets eight more starts, it'd be on regular rest three times, I think. Uh, so that's not, it's not like they're, they're, you know, coddling him as if he's coming off Tommy John and you need to have a six-man rotation around him. Uh, the, the trouble is, if you want Scherzer going on regular rest, how do you squeeze him into that schedule? Uh, and then you start getting guys having seven and eight days off. Uh, and that's a little harder. That's, you know, that's why the Mets said they wanted Walker going on Tuesday rather than DeGrom. Uh, I don't. I don't know how much I buy that because uh, Walker, if he, if he had started Thursday, it would have been nine days rest. DeGrom starting Thursday or Friday is going to be eight or nine days rest. I, I don't see a huge difference there. I think they just wanted to find an extra time off for Jake. Uh, so that, you know, they have said all along that they want to give these guys as much time off uh, in the month of September as possible. Uh, I think Scherzer is probably the one exception to that rule. Uh, but even he said, you know, he doesn't have to go on regular rest every time. It's just a matter of knowing that he's going to go on it enough to build himself to where he wants to be. Uh, William S. Age. Hey, Tim. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Good. Um, two things. One, what's the future with James McCann? He, uh, he just seems like the worst recent Met signing in history. And are they going to bring him back on the roster next year? And my second question has to do with, I just can't help but look ahead at that three-game series with the Braves that bleeds into October. What do you think, uh, putting you on the spot, like what do you think the likelihood of that being enormously consequential to the entire season is, those three games? And thanks again, Tim. Yeah, good, good question. But the, uh, the McCann one is, is really as you've got, uh, you know, uh, first of all, the, the, just a series of surprises to me. The first was that Michael Perez started three of the four games in Philadelphia uh, and McCann only started one. I, I would have thought that uh, that would have been reversed. Um, and Perez played well, obviously in those games. Uh, and then you've got Nito coming back on Monday to the roster and then not sending Perez down uh, that they, they decided to carry a third catcher and to, to designate uh, an extra pitcher uh, to make room for that, uh, which was, was a surprise given where they are in their schedule. Uh, and then third, you have, uh, Max Scherzer's post-game comments where he, he talked about, you know, McCann uh, not presenting the kind of target he wanted on, on the pitch to Aaron Judge, you know, standing up rather than, than getting lower in his crouch for a fastball down. Uh, you know, we, we've known really since spring training that, that Scherzer uh, has, has preferred Tomas Nito as his receiver. You know, Nito has caught the majority of his games uh, going back to spring. Uh, but it, this is the first time we've, there's kind of been an explicit criticism of McCann. And, and, you know, there are other, it's, it's the opposite with some other pitchers in the rotation. Chris Bassett has, has really liked working with McCann from the start, and it's definitely been a work in progress with Nito over the course of the season, as I wrote about a couple weeks ago. Uh, 
So, you know, it's, it's not as if this is an issue McCann has with everyone. Uh, you go back to Wilson Ramos being on the Mets, and that was, that was kind of more of a, a collective issue that the starting staff had with Ramos that Noah Syndergaard had voiced uh, back then. Um, you know, with McCann, I, I don't know that he's a guy who's going to be here next year. Uh, I, like, everything that's happened this weekend has made me wonder if he's here through the end of this season even. Uh, I would still be surprised if he is if he's let go before the end of the season, uh, but I've been surprised by everything that's happened in the last four days with him. Uh, so, you know, I think we talked about it on the podcast, I think last week, that McCann might be the kind of guy that you, you look to move in the offseason. There's, there's such a scarcity of catchers uh, in Major League Baseball. And this is a veteran guy who, you know, the offense clearly has not been there the last two seasons. Uh, the His... his Game calling has always been been well regarded. Uh, his pitch framing has gotten uh, significantly better since 2019, and he one you know he got a lot better at it in his final season in Chicago, and then has been really good with it with the Mets. Uh, right up there, you know, not quite at Nito's level, but but pretty close. Uh, and so you would think there would be a, a fit for him somewhere in the major leagues as a as a starting catcher. Uh, you might have to you'll probably have to eat some of the contract. There's two years and 20 million dollars remaining. You probably have to eat, I would say at least half of that, uh, but you know, I can imagine the Mets doing that. You open, you've got Nito as your your guy to, to tag along with Francisco Alvarez, as long as you think Alvarez is a guy who can catch for you somewhat regularly. Uh, if if you don't think his defense is far enough along for that, then you in tow. Uh, but that's that's kind of where I see that going at, at this stage. Um, the second question uh, on the, the series with Atlanta at the end of the season, you know. Now that it's not the very last series of the year, there is one after it. It's it's consequential so long as the gap is is within six games. Really, um, it's especially consequential if it's within three. Uh, and I would say that there's basically a hundred percent chance it's going to be within six. Um, uh, but I'll say ninety five percent chance it's within six, and probably a, a seventy percent chance it's within three at that point. Just because you know both teams have played so well. Uh, for so long at this point that you don't really expect either of them to have that kind of five or six game losing streak that changes the appearance of the of the division. You know, the the only time the Braves have, have stumbled since June 1st is against the Mets. You know, they're I think it's 48 and 14 since June 1st against everyone except the Mets, and they're five and seven uh, against the Mets themselves. Um, so uh, that's the only team that the Mets and I guess the Phillies are four and four against them and they've got seven left with Philadelphia. So maybe Philadelphia can help the Mets uh, in that regard. Uh, but I do expect that to be a, a pretty big series. And I, I'll be honest, I already looked at projected out the starting rotation for what, what it might be that series. Uh, and, you know, if you're mad that they shifted to Grom off of uh off of Tuesday night against the Yankees. Uh, if you play it all the way out to the end of the season, he is now in line to, to start against Atlanta uh, in that final series in a way that he wasn't before. So there is that silver lining. Uh, James Z. Hey, Tim. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, I had a Subway Series-themed question. Uh, just because everybody talks about who is better this year and Subway Series potential for – uh fall classic so i feel pretty confident that we're not seeing the best mets team of this decade but this might be like the best yankee team they get for a long time and it might just be me loving every single mets prospect and not really valuing dominguez or volpe but just wanted to hear what you thought 
Yeah, you know, I, I haven't thought through the the future of the Yankees to the same same extent, but I've I've thought about the future of the Mets. Uh, you know, the, obviously going back to the trade deadline, the Mets have the kind of you know talking about their cumulative World Series odds moving forward. Uh, you know, they they have some prospects in play to to start playing in the major leagues soon. You know, chief among them, uh, Francisco Alvarez for next year. You've got Beatty uh, in the major leagues. You've got Vientos in AAA. You've got Ronnie Mauricio in AA. You know, not all those guys. We're not talking about a 2024 lineup that's going to include all four of those guys, I think. You know, some prospects hit, some prospects miss. Um, you know, you never know exactly what you're going to get out of them uh, when you try to incorporate them into a starting lineup. Uh, when I covered the Red Sox, when they, they won the World Series in 2013, they had Xander Bogarts as a big part of that team down the stretch of that season. They had Jackie Bradley Jr. was coming up. Uh, you had, you know, they didn't know it at the time what they had Mookie Betts uh, in the minor leagues, but you, know, you got into 2014 and, and Bogarts was one of the worst hitters in baseball that season. And Bradley, it took really until the start of the 2016 season before he really hit his stride as a major league player, uh, you know. It, it's not an easy linear path for any of those guys. So it's, it's difficult for me even to project exactly what the Mets are going to look like. You know, so much depends on how they, you know, what they do with their free agents this off season. Uh, they've got so many, so much of their starting rotation is going to hit free agency to Obviously uh, you've got Diaz and Nimmo hitting as well. Uh, so how much do they want to increase their, their payroll? You know, Mike Kuma at the post projected, it could be a $350 million payroll just to bring some of those guys back. I might quibble with some of the math decisions he made, but it's we're you're talking about the same ballpark uh, to to resign a bunch of those guys, uh, and then what you do to rebuild around them uh, or to complement that lineup, uh, you know, might add to that. Uh, the Yankees, you know, they they also like their prospects a lot. Uh, you know, with with Volpe and with with Dominguez. Dominguez is, is a few years away. I mean, he's him and Alex Ramirez are kind of in the same spot. Uh, but they, they, they've got the judge decision, and that, that's going to be the big one for them. Uh, I, I, do, I don't know how confident I would be in saying that, that this is not the best Mets team of, of the 2020s, uh, just because, you know, this team has been healthy for so much of the season. You know, really this last week was the first time they, they weren't that healthy. Uh, they're on pace to win, what is it, like 105 games or something. You know, that's, that's a high bar to the top, uh, and I don't know that, that you expect any other team to get there. Uh, this decade, even if even if you think on paper it's more talented, uh, Gregory Kay's been waiting. What do you have, Gregory? Hey Tim, thanks for doing this. Uh, quick question I have. I feel like I've wanted to ask this for a while, just about Bucks bullpen management. Do you get any sense that the Mets use relievers for more? I know they call them like up downs, but I think of them like multi inning appearances than other teams do. Um, I just feel like the Mets had never done that pretty much at all up until Buck came aboard. And I hear the players will often say he manages the bullpen better than pretty much anyone else they've played for. Just any insight on that about, like I said, the multi, excuse me, the multi-inning appearances and whether that's good, bad, et cetera. Yeah, it's an interesting question because you're right. Like having talked to uh, players in that bullpen this year, you kind of know, you know, Tommy Hunter, chief among them, because he's he's played with Showalter for a while, that, you know, he knows when the phone rings exactly who's supposed to be getting up at that point in time. Uh, you know, he's he's he thinks along with Showalter the whole game. And he says it's not that difficult if you're in that bullpen to know where he's going at any given point. Uh, I think when you're talking about multi-innings, you know, obviously Seth Lugo has done it in the past, didn't do it last year, wasn't doing it for the start of the season, and has now started to do it 
And Lugo's a guy who who is not shy in saying he likes doing that. Like that is his preference is to appear uh, for as many innings as possible uh, <laughs> in any game. Uh, and so they've done it with Lugo, and he's pitched well in that role. The, the guy who it's really different for is Adovino, uh, who hadn't done it as much in the last several years with uh, with the Yankees and Red Sox. Um, and he's been, I think in general, has not been asked to do two innings too much. It's kind of the four-out appearance for Adovino. And he's not getting quite the same amount of rest on the other side as Lugo is. You know, with Lugo, it's generally, uh, if he appears for, for more than an inning, uh, he's getting more than a day of rest. Uh, without Avino, you know, we've seen him get four outs, get one day off, and come back the day after that. Uh, and Avino has said that he's he's feeling good. You know, he knows how to handle his body. It's it's not he's not on pace for the kind of workload he had in 2018 in Colorado when he God, he uh, I'd have to look up exactly how much he threw, but it was close to to 80 appearances, close to 80 innings, uh, just a ton of work uh, for a reliever. That the Mets aren't in that that air for anyone in their bullpen. Uh, they've been pretty uh, conservative with how they've used guys. So I don't think any of those guys are running out of gas yet. I do, I think your concern would be that, you know, why why have they used Adovino for more than, than three outs is because they haven't trusted uh, other people in their bullpen. They haven't done it as much since and bringing May back and adding Gibbons at the deadline. Uh, but then when you get into the postseason, you know, you lean on your small subset of relievers more and more. Uh, and this year with fewer off days in the postseason, you know, you can't get through uh, an NLC, a seven-game NLCS using three relievers the way you might have been able to uh, in 2019. Uh, you know, the Nationals in, in 2019, I think they basically used Daniel Hudson and Sean Doolittle out of their regular bullpen and then a starter uh, to, to give them an inning or two uh, in most of their games. Uh, going back again to the, the 13 Red Sox, like it was Koji Uehara, it was Craig Breslow and Janice Tizawa. Those were the three guys they used in the bullpen. Uh, for an entire playoff run. You're not going to be able to do that. So they're going to need, you know, it's going to be Adovino, Lugo, Diaz, but they're going to need May and Gibbons to provide them critical innings at some point. And then, you know, I talked to Scherzer about appearing out of the bullpen, and he loves that idea. Uh, so I, I can imagine Chris Bassett being really on board with that idea as well. Uh, so that, you know, we could see them use that same mode as well. But, again, you don't have the extra off days for those guys to build back up to have an extra day of rest before their start. Uh, so that that's going to be uh, a real fascinating part of the October strategy as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. 
tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Uh, Jesse, Jesse M. What do you got? We lost Jesse. Uh, let's go to Ryan C. Hey, Tim. Hey, what's up? Hey, so I was just kind of thinking about, because I was just kind of listening to this, but now I feel like I kind of want to chime in on here. So we were so obviously you were just talking about how Buck Walter is starting to utilize guys for multi, more than one inning or like up downs this year. And I do feel like there's one guy I feel like, I don't know, I'm kind of curious to see your opinion on this, that I feel like it might have affected. Because if you remember, Drew Smith this year was off to a really good start. Obviously he had like, what, like 15 squirrel things or something like that. And then kind of fe- and then kind of fell off and is obviously now hurt, which we also don't really know anything about. And but there was like a couple times where I feel like it was they were kind of reckless with him. Like I remember there was like a game it was like ten nothing Nationals and Joe Walter asking to asked him to get like five outs, which I thought was like really odd. Do you think like situations like that could have possibly like caused some sort of him to run out of gas or get hurt? Yeah, that, that's a good question, Ryan. Uh, you know, with with Drew, um, I think. You know, he, he was never going to pitch as well as he did at the start of the season for the entire season. He was not going to go, uh, you know, six months without giving up a run. And, and obviously, I think I think it's since he started giving up, since that game against Seattle where he gave up his first run, uh, the ERA is something around five for him. Uh, you know, they he was the one guy I was concerned about the workload they were giving him early in the season because it, his career high uh, in the major leagues had been 40, 41 innings, something like that. He hadn't thrown more than 50 innings professionally. Uh, since I think 2017 or 2018, uh, I think 2017. Uh, so, you know, he just hadn't been built up to be the, to do that for an entire season that he was going to need an aisle stint at some point. And it, it unfortunately for the Mets happened at the end of July. It's going to push him back into kind of mid September at, at the earliest for his return. He hasn't started uh, pitching off a mound yet. He has started throwing uh, with, with the lat strain. You know, I, I do think that they probably could have been, a little bit more conservative with him early in the season. But again, you know, so much of your bullpen uh, strategy these days is uh, like this guy's hot. Like you ride the hot hand when it's hot for as long as you can, because you never know when it's going to end for that guy. Uh, and so you, you do that with a guy like Drew Smith uh, when you really need, when no one else in the bullpen has stepped up for you. Uh, when, when Lugo was struggling a little bit, when May was out, you know, Smith became kind of their, their primary eighth inning guy, even more so than Adovino was for, for a time. Uh, and, you know, this is the, the byproduct of doing that is you lose him for an extended period of time. Uh, he's another name, you know, I wasn't even thinking about him really when we were talking about the postseason bullpen. But he's a guy who, you know, could be really effective for them, especially with his, his history against left-handers. Uh, he could be another option for them for the postseason bullpen if he's able to come back in time. Um, Scott L. Uh, Scott. Yeah, hey, thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Um, just a quick question, and maybe I'm going to be a bit um, panicky. But what's your thoughts about Diaz? I mean, this when he pitched against Philly, I think this is the first time in a really long time he looked human. And, you know, I've been a Met fan for a long time, and I've seen closers, you know, look amazing, and then all of a sudden start to peter out. And I'm just wondering, is this something that we should be concerned about or a premonition or something? Or, you know, I know Buck likes to manage his bullpen, but, you know, is there anything that you think we should be concerned about? Thank you. No, thanks. For, thanks for the question. I, I mean, being a little panicky and as we all know, uh, you know, Diaz has not been as sharp the last 
two outings. Again, you know, he was not going to go one, two, three with two strikeouts every time out there uh, through the end of the season. Uh, I'd be more concerned if we saw him kind of losing his command more. Uh, he's given up some hits, uh, but he's not he's still not walking, you know, two guys in an outing uh, the way that we saw when he was really struggling with his slider command. He's not he's not hanging sliders. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I think. I'm not, he is, he is one of my, uh, on the, on the hierarchy of concerns I would have about the, the 2022 Mets going into uh, the stretch run and, and October, uh, Edwin Diaz is still relatively low. You know, he's still a guy that I think they can count on for giving them probably more than three outs in a bunch of postseason games. He's a guy who wants that challenge. We've seen him do it uh, in the past at times. So, uh, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm still more concerned about the lead up to Diaz than what he himself will do uh, in the postseason. And, you know, like we, we talk about Jairus Familia in the postseason and, and like 2016 is what it is. 2015, a lot of that was just kind of the positions he was put in, especially in games uh, four and five of that World Series against Kansas City. You know, game one is on him. Uh, but, but games four and five, where he's coming in with inherited runners, basically, uh, I, I don't think the mess will do that to Diaz in the ninth inning. I think, you know, if he's, if he's inheriting runners, it's in the eighth inning. Uh, and he's uh, he's trying, he's, you know, you probably give him just the full two innings in, in spots like that, rather than having kind of that, that cheap blown save where it's not even your runner. Uh, let's go to Brian F. Uh, yes, I'll, uh, sorry, Tim, thanks for doing this. Um, apologies, um, as I joined a couple minutes late, and if you've addressed this, so apologies in advance. But it seemed like last night um, the Mets seemed to be really um, swinging early um, at pitches. I don't know if that was a byproduct of uh, Herman's, you know, having strong command or not. But, it, it, I mean, they illustrated quite a few times on the broadcast how many, you know, how, like, there were, like, nine, ten pitches throughout the innings. Do you think this is a strategy that – you know, uh, teams may employ against the Mets, just kind of bang the strike zone, force them to score runs. Obviously, one of the biggest um, accolades the Mets offense has been is kind of working counts and getting to the bullpen. Just wondering your thoughts around that. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. You know, Herman was was extreme. Uh, six innings, for first five innings uh, on Monday night. You know, I think the Mets, their, their pitches per plate appearance is not actually like at the very top of the league the way you might expect, the way we've talked about them. Uh, and they're not a team that, you know, they have aggressive hitters. Like Brandon Nimmo, we always think of as a, a very patient patient hitter, uh, but he does. it's not like he takes first strike every time. Like he, you throw him a first pitch strike, he's going after it. Jeff McNeil, obviously, is you throw him a first pitch, he's going after it. Uh, so I don't know necessarily that, you know, this, this is a situation where teams, you know, realize like, oh, the, the Mets are not going to swing early in the count. I can attack them with a get-me-over fastball uh, to start a, a, a count. Um, you know, the the mid-2000s Yankees and Red Sox had a little bit of that. And so if you were a pitcher, you know, David Price, for instance, when he was in Tampa Bay, uh, when he was when he was really good at locating his fastball, he threw his fastball 90% of the time. When he was really good at locating that fastball, he could throw, uh, you know, eight shutout innings against those teams on 88 pitches, basically, uh, because he made them swing early. You know, if you locate your stuff early in the count, uh, you can make a team swing the way Herman did last night. I don't think it's necessarily uh, the Mets going in saying, like, we've got to swing early on this guy. Uh, I, th I think, it's you know, hitting is, is reacting to the pitcher, uh, and that's kind of what the Mets did on Monday night uh, unsuccessfully against Herman, uh, and we'll see how they do uh, uh, tonight uh, against Montas. Uh, Eddie C., you are the last one in the queue. We'll, we'll head back to you. And then I'll, uh, some of the other hey, questions. Tim. Uh, thanks again. Um, 
I just have an interesting question for you. Um, we haven't seen too much of Darren Ruff this year so far. Um, I know he he hits really well against lefties. Um, do you think just because the way we've used him really is it seems like every time Vogelback gets a double, we just put him in to pinch run. Do you think there's a chance that they could potentially DFA him for Dom or Jankowski to come up to fill that role a little bit better with a little more speed? Um, thank you. I think that's something you're thinking about. I, you know, I think Ruff is, is still going to be the guy against left-handed pitchers, uh, you know, as their DH. Uh, they, they really need that right-handed bat. As we've seen, their, their, their success rate against lefties is, is not as good. Their OPS in August, when I, I calculated it on – uh, after the doubleheader Saturday, after they lost to Bailey Falter, was 619 against lefties in the month of August. Ruff is a guy who hasn't gotten off to the greatest start for the Mets, at least as a hitter, as a pitcher, he's been great. Uh, you know, is a guy who can solve that problem for them and give them another bat against lefties. You know, the, the pinch running thing for Vogelback is just, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't think Ruff's pinch run a lot. I think, you know, in the really important games, uh, that, that might be Tyler Naquin pinch running instead. Um, you know, using that, using maybe two pieces to for one. Uh, in the postseason, it might be Jankowski or, or Terrence Gore, who they have in AAA as an option to be a to be basically a pinch runner in, in October. Uh, so I don't, I don't think Ruff's roster spot is in is in any danger, uh, especially not for a guy like Smith, uh, who's not who's another left-handed bat at a time when they can use uh, righty. Uh, so I'm going to go through the chat here just to see uh, what we have not addressed yet. Justin, what level of concern is there about the offense? Seems like when the team has good at-bats, they score four plus runs every time. But a few games as of late, the plate discipline has been mediocre. Uh, Alonzo especially is in a bit of a rut. Alonzo has has labored a bit the last couple weeks, last 10 days or so. I mean, had the big game uh, on Friday night uh, to help the Mets beat Aaron Nola. Uh, but other than that, hasn't, you know, this is, he's been so consistent across the season. I think this is really the second time we've been able to say he's had basically a week and a half where he hasn't been uh, on top of his game. I think you're okay with that. I think it's probably a little bit of fatigue. Uh, I think, you know, him and Lindor could use that, that Wednesday day off. They're, they've only, each of them has only missed one start to this point in the season, which is pretty remarkable uh, in this day and age, uh, especially with the number of double headers the team has played. So I'm not worried about Alonzo. And, and you know, when the team has good at-bats, they score four-plus runs. That it seems a little tautological. You know, when, when, when they score four-plus runs, it's probably because they had good at-bats. You know, it, it, it's easy to look at it that way. Uh, there are times when, you know, you put together good at-bats and you don't score uh, that many runs. The, the plate approach last night is probably not the best they've had this season, but I, I'm not overly concerned about it at this point. I, I do think that the real issue is how they're going to hit lefties, especially if you see a team like Los Angeles uh, in the NLCS that has several of them in their rotation. Um, Vinny M asked, why didn't Tommy Hunter get activated? I was also a little surprised Monday that that did not happen. Uh, they, they had said that Hunter was going to be ready to go Sunday basically, uh, the first day eligible off the IL, but he was still experiencing a little bit of soreness that day. So they just wanted to get that totally out of there uh, before bringing him up, uh, which could happen could happen today, Tuesday, could happen in time for the, the homestand on Thursday. Scott, what happened to Nate Fisher? Talk about a feel-good story. Uh, yeah, that's that's really the, the, the tough part of the baseball business uh, was, you know, Fisher pitched, was really a, a pitching hero for the Mets on Sunday, really allowed them to stay in that game. Well, when they didn't have a lot of other options out of the bullpen, you know, if, if Nate Fisher uh, struggles and, and has to be taken out in the fifth inning, you're taught, you're asking Michael Gibbons and Trevor May and Edwin Diaz to cover, you know, 
12, 13, 14 outs for you. And that really sets you back for Monday night. Uh, so uh, Fisher, you know, w- was outstanding. Where even if the Mets had lost that game, Fisher had, had filled a really big role for them. Uh, and then with them coming back, you know, it was even bigger. Uh, you know, I, I was surprised he was DFA'd. Uh, I thought he might just be optioned, uh, but they needed the extra spot with, with Nito coming off the COVID IL. Uh, so I think he's probably, st- you know, if he clears waivers uh, and gets outrighted to, to Syracuse, which is a possibility, uh, then he could be an option again down down the line in the season. But I think, you know, in terms of, of a lefty for the Mets in the bullpen, uh, it's going to be Rodriguez and then Peterson and Lucchese are your other options. I don't think Fisher's a guy that they're thinking about as, as the lefty for them down the stretch. Uh, Ryan C., do you expect the Mets to give more players kind of tryouts in September between Alvarez, Vientos, and even someone lesser known like Bryce Montez de Oca? Montez de Oca is, is lighting it up in AAA, uh, not just the radar gun, but the results as well. Uh, so he's an interesting uh, guy for, for the bullpen maybe. You know, you'll only get two call-ups for September. You, you expand the roster to 28, used to be 40, uh, in which case, yeah, all these guys would be up. Uh, now that it's only the two, uh, I'm guessing it's probably one pitcher and one right-handed bat, uh, whether that's Alvarez or Vientos. Um, I'd probably lean Vientos at this point, but uh, it could, you know, we've seen them, you know, carrying three catchers uh, for these couple days maybe is a, a little bit of a, a preview of what they, of how they think the roster might work come October. Uh, and maybe that that means Alvarez, but they, they've got to be judicious with, with who they give those, those kind of tryouts, uh, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> conversation about Jose Buto uh, between Scott and Justin. Uh, you know, with, with Buto, it was a really weird start for him, not just results-wise, but you know, this is a guy you hear so much about his changeup, uh, and I've seen a little bit of him in the minor leagues, uh, and the changeup is really good. And he, he shelved it, really, after the first inning, after the Bohm home run. You know, he did not throw his signature pitch from that point forward. And the, the curveball has always been a, a work in progress for him. The question with Buto has always been, what is his third pitch in the major leagues? Uh, and he threw the curveball. He threw some sliders as well uh, and was able to to manage it from that point forward. Obviously, the, the Bohm home run in the, the fourth inning kind of sunk it again. Uh, but, you know, I think the glass half empty view of Jose Buto after Sunday is, you know, his changeup is not good enough to succeed at the major league level. His best pitch isn't good enough. So he's not going to be good enough to be a starter in the major leagues. Uh, the glass half full approach is uh, this guy didn't have his best pitch working at all for him, didn't have command of it. Uh, and changeup can be a difficult pitch to throw uh, when you've got a lot of adrenaline going, as I'm sure he did in his first major league start, uh, but that his secondary stuff played better than you would have expected, uh, the curveball and slider. Uh, and so, you know, he goes back to AAA. He was not, this was not supposed to be the time for Jose Buto to come up. You weren't, he wasn't knocking down the door of the major leagues. This was a, a start out of emergency need. Uh, so, you know, he goes back to AAA, works on those secondary pitches with a little bit more confidence, gets his changeup back in order. Uh, and then, you know, becomes an option for them, uh, whether as a, a long man maybe next year uh, and then eventually in the rotation. He He's not a guy you project to be a number two starter, really. He's a guy you project in the back end as an innings eater uh, and maybe as a as a reliever when if those third and fourth pitches don't come where he just becomes a, a fastball changeup reliever. Um, going through here, uh, do the Mets piggyback starters in the postseason to get to Diaz from Mary? I don't think we'd see a full piggyback. I think, it would, you know, you're, you're going to start Max Scherzer normally. You're going to start Jake DeGrom normally. You're going to start Chris Bassett normally. Uh, I mean, you might see a situation where Walker or Carrasco, whichever one is in the bullpen, uh, pitch, you know, pitches behind the other for two innings or so. 
uh, or you know, maybe Scherzer starts, gives you six innings, and, and Chris Bassett is your seventh inning guy that day. But it, I don't think we're seeing, you know, when I think of piggyback, it's this guy goes four, this guy goes three, and then you get to, to the back end of your bullpen. Um, and then Stephen M. will we'll close on this one. More likely to be re-signed Chris Bassett or Taiwan Walker. Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, I think Bassett has been, I guess Bassett's just been better lately, so it feels that way. But Walker uh, has been so good really over the course of the season and, and over these two years, obviously had the, the bad second half last year, but it feels like they've, they've been able to figure that out, uh, what went wrong then, uh, and he's been much better uh, and more consistent this season through now August 23rd. Uh, I think Walker's got the age going for him. Uh, he's younger. He's younger than Bassett. Uh, and so you know, that was the thing that intrigued me about him when the Mets signed him uh, after the 2020 season was this is a guy who hit free agency at a relatively young age for a pitcher. So there was room for him to not just be the guy he had been uh, that season for, for Seattle and Toronto, uh, but a guy who could maybe get better after that. And it seems like he has with the Mets. So I would probably, you know, on a rotation that is on the older side with, Scher- with Scherzer, with, you know, as said, the Mets probably hope DeGrom <laughs> beyond 2022, uh, that maybe – you know, signing Walker to a longer term deal is makes more sense than signing Bassett. Although, you know, I, I would expect them to be interested in both. So uh, that's a, another fun topic to discuss once we get to the off season, but we've got six weeks to go uh, in the regular season. Uh, another uh, critical game against the Yankees on Tuesday night. Uh, Ted and I will be back uh, on Friday for a taped podcast. Uh, we'll do the live room again next week. Uh, thank you so much for all the questions. Uh, that makes it a lot easier. Uh, I'm sorry we couldn't answer any of the ones about sandwiches. Uh, we will save them for Ted uh, next week. Thanks again. Adios. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.